What a joy to greet all of you today. Thank you for being a part of this service. Uh, it's a delight for me to be here. I uh, am on the road these days, as many of you know. We're in a uh, discernment and transition time in our church, and it's put me out on the road um, as uh, a supervisor over a few different churches. So that's been a lot of fun to go different places. But in this discernment transition time, the board of the church, uh, they asked me to continue to be the boss, okay? So I'm still the boss. Even though I, get, I come back and people have forgotten I was the boss, you know, and, and so sometimes you have to remind people, no, I'm, I'm still the boss, right? And so you go out on the road. I've been out on the road for a couple weeks. I was here probably three weeks ago, and I'm back today, and I get the chance to preach. It's wonderful, you know, but you come back, and sometimes you've just got to be the boss, Right? Because, you know, you, you, when the mice or when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? So that's what happens. They, you know, they just kind of, the, the, they can get out of order sometimes, right, as a, as a staff team. So today, I came into church, and the children's ministry area was a bit out of order, okay? It was just, it was like, oh, what am I going to do? Because they're doing, I think, some uh, thing on teamwork for the kids. All of that's wonderful, Pastor Desiree is the best youth, uh, best uh, family ministries pastor ever. She's incredible. But it was out of order out there. I, I did the unlock today. So I went through the building, unlocked the building, and I walked by, and here's what I saw in the children's ministry area, right? So I was just like, you know, sometimes you just got to be the boss, right? You've got to take authority. So I said, well, I'll try to fix it. So I tried to fix it. And I was like, man, that's still not good enough, right? It's still, I have to fix this permanently. So here's what I did. <laughs> Praise the Lord, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to be the boss, right? <laughs> Speaking of bosses, let's talk about one that wasn't so good. In 1941, uh, this person was the head of Germany. Okay, down here, who is this? You guys know down here? Hitler, you guys know, you're very smart. Our students are amazing, right? This is Adolf Hitler. He was Chancellor of Germany. Now, Remembrance Day comes from World War I, Flanders Fields where the poppies grow. So that's where the poem comes from. We wear the poppy, but we also wear the poppy in remembrance of the tragedies and the remembrances of what happened in World War II. In 1941, Adolf Hitler seemed invincible. He was the leader of the National Socialist Party in Germany. He had bullied, lied, killed, and intimidated his way into taking over most of Europe. This is a map of Europe in 1937. So you see the German realm there in, in yellow. After World War I, uh, Germany's territorial ambitions had been really scaled back, and many people say that the people who made peace at Versailles uh, in 1918, that when they did the Treaty of Versailles, that was, that was too restrictive on Germany, and so actually World War I and World War II, in some historians' minds, is just one big, long conflict. And so Hitler, of course, in 1937, he was already Chancellor of the German realm, and this is kind of what it looked like at that point. All these other countries... So you had a Czechoslovakian Republic, you had Kingdom of Hungary, you had all these, you had France in blue, 
Now look at 1940, I think this is 41 or 42, and look at the green, how it's spread out. Hitler has most of Europe occupied or conquered in some way. You look at uh, France has the resistance there in southern France, but he's occupying France. Italy is an ally with Germany at that point, so they're together, Italian Libya. You look at German invasion, they, World War II got right down into Egypt. I mean, it was a big, big conflict. They had gone into the Soviet Union. They were, at that point, if you looked at that map, you would think, wow, this guy is invincible. At the time, many reasonable, thought, reasonable people thought, Hitler's unstoppable. How's anybody going to stop him? But what's interesting in hindsight is now many believe, many believe uh, as historians that 1942, the writing for Hitler was already on the wall. That the writing was already on the wall, that Hitler and the Nazis, that their rise to power and their need to continue to conquer ever more territory had already sown the seeds of their eventual defeat. Now, if you had... Many, some of you might have been alive in 1942 and have some memory of that. Most people thought he's just going to continue to take over more territory. They're just going to keep going and going and going. But now when historians look back with hindsight, they look back and they're like, it was already over, the writing was on the wall, Hitler was already done when you look at it at that point. As we know, the evils of the regime were too many to count. Mass murder, murdered six million Jews murdered all kinds of other people. Um, 11 million in total is, is one of the numbers that I've heard of non-combatants that died as a result of Hitler. Science experiments on humans, slave labor, and a rejection of Christianity. Martin Bormann, I think we might have a picture of Bormann as well. Martin Bormann was serving as Hitler's private secretary. And between 1941 and 1944, he would record Hitler's private thoughts. So Hitler had a podcast, essentially, guys, right? Hitler had a podcast called Hitler's Table Talk. And Bormann had recorded Hitler's thoughts uh, at that time. His thoughts on religion, culture, philosophy, personal aspirations, and his feelings toward his enemies and friends. Bormann relished recording any harsh pronouncements made by Hitler against the church. There was hardly anything he wrote down more eagerly than deprecating comments on the church. Within the transcripts, Hitler speaks of Christianity as absurdity and humbug founded on lies with which he could never come personally to terms. The morality of Hitler's inner circle is on full display in Bormann's life. So put Bormann's picture back up there one more time, uh, if we could. From time to time, Bormann... Uh, this is a contemporaneous account written about Bormann. From time to time, Bormann would cruise over to the Reich Chancellery, where a kind of mass hysteria fueled by an endless supply of alcohol in the cellars had led to a relaxing of sexual inhibitions. This is kind of representative of the Third Reich and how they behaved. Bormann's philandering has the support of his wife Gerda, the mother of his ten children, just over a year ago, he wrote to her with the proud news that he'd succeeded in seducing the well-known actress Manya Berhens. Goethe wrote straight back, this is his wife writing straight back, congratulating him and offering to welcome Manya into their household. They should arrange a system of motherhood by shifts, she said, so that you always have a wife who is usable. 
The writing was on the wall, morally. The writing was on the wall, economically. And the writing was on the wall, militarily. Now, when you think about Germany in 1942, they produced 15,000 new combat aircraft in 1942. In 1943, they produced 26,000 combat aircraft, and in 1944, 40,000 combat aircraft. But in the U.S. alone, the figures were 1942, they produced 48,000 aircraft, 86,000 in 1943, and 114,000 in 1944. So, with the courage of British, Canadian, U.S., and Soviet soldiers, Hitler was defeated. For Hitler, the writing was on the wall. We understand that phrase of the writing being on the wall as a sense of impending judgment or a negative outcome that can't be overturned. Any guesses which book in the Bible gives us that phrase, the writing on the wall? Take a guess. Daniel, you're right on it. You've been here for a few weeks. Good job. It's Daniel. We've been studying the book of Daniel, and we've been learning about unshakable faith. Last week, Pastor Roger taught from Daniel chapter 4, and this week, my assignment is Daniel chapter 5. And in order to understand the events of Daniel chapter 5, we need to understand a little bit about the first four books, uh, I'm sorry, first four chapters of the book of Daniel. Believe it or not, the main character of the first four chapters of Daniel isn't Daniel. Do you realize that? The main character of the first four chapters of the book of Daniel is a king. What's that king's name? Nebuchadnezzar. Man, you guys have been paying attention around here. This is great. Nebuchadnezzar was the main character of these first four chapters of Daniel. He experiences God in three different ways and makes declarations about God three different times. Daniel 2 47. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel had revealed the mystery to the king of his dream. None of the astrologers, none of the other pagans were able to do it. Daniel, it was a miracle that God showed Daniel exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, and he was able to offer an exact interpretation. And so Nebuchadnezzar responds to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, 28 and 29. He has put three Hebrew boys through the fiery furnace. And then... There was another in the fire, as the song said. And this was Nebuchadnezzar's response to the three boys not even being singed in the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save this way. Daniel 4, 37. The king, and you studied 
studied it this week in the small groups. Many of you in your small groups studied this chapter or this event. The king had experienced mental illness. Daniel had said to the king, turn around from your ways, seek God. And the king himself didn't really understand what Daniel was saying, and so he just kind of proclaimed himself as, as king of the universe or king of the world and how great he was. And immediately he was struck down with mental illness. He was basically uh, uh, exiled from his kingship for either seven months or seven years. It's a period of time. And then what happens, he looks to heaven and God restored his sanity and God restored him to the kingship. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar declared. He said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The first two times he was talking about somebody else's God, Daniel's God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But now it's his God. This is the last word we hear about Nebuchadnezzar. He died a believer in God. Fast forward to chapter 5. Years have passed. And a new king is on the throne. His name is Belshazzar. And it means Bel or Baal protect the king. Baal is one of the gods of the Babylonians. Just as Nebo was another god of the, the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar was Nebo guard the king. Now we have Belshazzar, which is the name Baal protect the king. Which is very similar to the name that Daniel was given. Daniel refers to himself in the book as Belteshazzar. Nobody quite knows why it wasn't just Belshazzar. Some think that Daniel changed a couple letters because he didn't want to honor a pagan god. But now we have Belshazzar, who is either a son or a grandson, or uh, like a three, one or two or three generations down. We're not exactly sure about where he was in the family line. But Nebuchadnezzar is still considered his father, in terms of how it's spoken about in the book of Daniel. Belshazzar, Baal, protect the king, is on the throne. He was possibly named after Daniel. You think about it. Uh, Daniel was given that, that Babylonian name. It's possible he was named after Daniel. Belshazzar decided to throw a massive banquet to celebrate his kingdom. He didn't pay one bit of attention to the experience of Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't pay any attention to Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. The fact that Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in the God of heaven. So he didn't pay any attention to that. He not only rejected the faith of his father, he ordered that all the sacred and valuable temple goblets be brought in. So the temple was in Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he brought back all the valuables. He brought back the gold and the silver, all the very fine china, whatever was in the temple. He brought it back, claimed it as his own, put it in storage. It was like, I'm just going to bank this stuff. It's very valuable. But what did Belshazzar do? Belshazzar, he, he ordered it out of the vault, brought to the party, and he started, he, they really, using what was meant for worship in the temple in Jerusalem, he was treating it like college frat boys would treat red solo cups, right? Just pouring all their alcohol into it, very much just, you know, it's as if 
you know, you think of today, if, if somebody came in and got all the communion equipment out that we use once a month for communion and just started using it for a big old wild, crazy, you know, nutty party, it, 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 that wouldn't be right. And so this is what happens. This is what Belshazzar does. And not only that, he doesn't only do that. He goes ahead and he, they party, they drink out of these utensils that were holy for the, for the temple. And then he went ahead and drunkenly partied and worshipped idols of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. These, all these implements were dedicated to the God of heaven. And he was just worshipping all the gods of the earth. And then something happened that history has never forgotten. Rembrandt painted it. Johnny Cash wrote one of his first songs about it. And we use the phrase routinely when we sense something bad is about to happen. You can see it from Rembrandt's painting. King Belshazzar and all the partygoers. Daniel 5, 5 and 6. And just leave up the, the, the photo of Rembrandt while I read this one. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees, uh, that his knees became weak, his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Think of all the idioms we get from the Bible, right? I think that's where we get the phrase, his knees are knocking in fear, right? We get all these idioms, the writing on the wall, knees are knocking, the fear, legs became weak. In terror, Belshazzar, he called in his pagan astrologers, and they had no idea what the message meant. But the queen, she remembered something about Nebuchadnezzar. Finally, somebody remembered Nebuchadnezzar. And she remembered that whenever Nebuchadnezzar had a difficult problem, there was a worshiper of God, a Jew named Daniel, who would interpret the message, and every time Daniel showed up, things were okay. Things would turn out okay. Even if it was seven years of insanity for the king, he got his throne back. Everything Daniel said turned out to be a good thing for the king. And the queen said, listen, don't worry. No worries. Just bring Daniel. He'll straighten it all out. He'll just tell you what it means and everything's going to be fine. So the king called Daniel. And he promised Daniel riches and honor. He said, Daniel, if you'll read this writing, I will make you the third highest person in the kingdom. I love Daniel's reaction because he's been through this so many times, right? He's been through it before. He's like, listen, just keep your stuff. It's okay, right? You don't need to give me any honor. You don't need to give me. You can keep all of your gold and your silver because he knew what was coming. Daniel knew uh, what was about to happen. Uh, Daniel went ahead and just gave him a history lesson. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, was given this kingdom by God and had it taken away by God and then restored by the God of heaven when he acknowledged the most high God as sovereign. Not just the God of the Jews, not just the God of Israel, the God of everything. And when Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God as the God of everything, he was given back his kingdom and then... Daniel gets to Belshazzar in the history lesson. And this is what he says, Daniel 5, 22, 23. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods 
of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his, in his hand your very life and all your ways. And then Daniel read the message that was on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Numbered, weighed, divided. And if you just saw those three words, you'd wonder, what does this mean? Numbered, weighed, divided. Belshazzar ignored all the blessings of the God of heaven, all the ways the God of heaven had blessed his father Nebuchadnezzar and blessed the kingdom. And Daniel 5 is this fascinating judgment within a judgment. The people of Israel were under God's judgment. That's why they were in Babylon. That's why Daniel and all his friends, that's why they were taken to Babylon in the first place. Because the people of Israel had forgotten God. God had blessed Israel over and over. And what had Israel done? They had forgotten and turned away from God time after time. And God said, God warned them through the prophets, turn back to me, turn back to me. But they didn't turn back. And so what happened was they were judged And it was going to be a 70-year judgment, a 70-year exile. And so they're under judgment. And now Belshazzar is under judgment. It's a judgment within a judgment because the people of Israel were under God's judgment. God had them exiled to Babylon. Lo and behold, though, God went with them. God went with them to Babylon and traveled with Daniel and his friends. And the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, gave his heart to God. But his son was now under judgment because he forgot God. It never turns out well for the nations who are blessed by God, who then forget God. This is the latest statistical data from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. A friend of mine named Rick Heemstra just did all the statistical work. And this is what Canada looked like in 1946. 67% of Canadians attended church weekly. Went to church every week. We'd gone through a world war, but all of us can agree Canada has always been a blessed nation. And the people of Canada have always been generally a godly people. But look at the statistics down through the years. 1946, and then look, you see 16, but that number 11%, that's 2019. From, from 67% in 1946, within some of your lifetimes, and not too far beyond most of ours, 67% to today, 11% of Canadians go to church weekly. What does this mean? It means, folks, That it never goes well for nations who turn away from God. I think we have to begin to pray as a people that our country would repent. That our nation will turn around. It's not too late. God continues to bless us as a people. But I believe we need to turn around. I believe we need to repent. I believe that that kind of data shows the same kind of spirit as a Belshazzar who knew better and didn't pay attention. So what's it mean for me, this writing on the wall? 
What's it mean for me as an individual? Let me just give you what's going to happen. This writing on the wall wasn't just for one guy. Every person, when they face God, if you face God on your own, or if you face God in terms of not turning to God, the same things, that same writing can be on your wall. Many, many, tekel Parsons. My days are numbered. If you have your outlines, they can just walk through this. What's it mean? What's the writing on the wall mean for the typical person? It means my days are numbered. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. There are two certainties in life. You all know this. Death and taxes, right? As Canadians, we know a lot about taxes, right? But there's also death, death and taxes. When humanity rebelled against God, the curse of death was introduced. And guess what? Death's batting a thousand. Death is still batting a thousand. We're all going to die. Even though Pastor Roger gets younger, I don't know how he continues to do that. He drives me nuts. He keeps looking younger. But eventually, I think it'll catch up with him too. But we all have to come to terms with the reality that our human life is finite. We're going to die. You're going to die. That's the writing on the wall. It's going to happen. Number two, I will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. Daniel 5.27 Daniel said to Belshazzar, you've been weighed in the scales and you've been found wanting. I mentioned Johnny Cash. This was one of his first, all the, all the uh, teens are like, Johnny who? You know, <laughs> John, like Johnny Cash, right? He, one of his first hit songs, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I, that's it for Johnny today. But <laughs> I listened to the song this week. I really debated playing it for you, but the outfits were so cheesy that I was like, I couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it. From 1958, I think, was the song. Biblical song, though, one of his first hits. I imagine, by the way, uh, that they live, most Canadians think God's going to grade on the curve. I mean, if you ask most Canadians, what do you think about after death? What's going to happen? I think most Canadians would say, well, the good and the bad, and if I'm more good than bad, then it's going to be okay. But that's not, that's not what this, the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not good enough to be in the presence of God. I'm not good enough to be in the presence of God. I'll be weighed in the balance, and I'll be found wanting. That's what the message was to Belshazzar. Uh, thirdly, my kingdom will be taken away. Daniel 5.28 Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You've all heard the saying, you can't take it with you. The day you die, Job said it this way in the book of Job. He said, naked I came into the world and naked I will depart. You can't take it with you. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You just don't. You cannot take it with you. Everything you have is going to be given away to somebody else. This is the story. This is our story. This is what humans go through. If God were to write it on the wall, it would say the exact same thing. But here's the good news today. I've got to wrap this this deal up. But here's the good news. That writing's on the wall. That's the writing on the wall for you. That's the writing on the wall for me. But praise God, Jesus wrote an updated story. Jesus, with his blood, wrote this new story that we get to be a part of. It's a beautiful story. His new message through Jesus is this. 
you can continue in your outlines, in Christ, I will experience resurrection. The days of our kingdoms are numbered. They're coming to an end. Our lives will end. But when Jesus walked out of the grave on Sunday after being killed on Friday, it was a demonstration of the power of love that had won over the power of evil. Nothing could stop love. John 3.16, let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When you believe in Jesus and follow Jesus as your Lord, you get to experience what Jesus experienced. You will die. Your body will be laid to rest. But at the last day, when God the Father gives Jesus the word, he's coming back and all heaven's breaking loose, right? All heaven is going to break loose when Jesus comes back. Daniel 12, the very last verse of the book of Daniel. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest and then, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. When you follow Jesus, you go your way, you will rest, you will die, and then at the end of days, you will rise. It's a beautiful story. Number two, in Christ, God declares me innocent. The writing on the wall for you and me is that we, we will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's an objective reality that we cannot be what we want to be. It's a spiritual reality that we have an enemy that the Bible calls the Satan or the accuser who loves to torment us and remind us we're not good enough. You're a failure. You're never going to make it. You're too stupid. There's no way you can do this. And the Satan loves to remind you over and over again, you're too weak, you're too bad, you've done too many wrong things. And Satan delights in that. On your own, you will never measure up. So there's an objective reality. Then you have an enemy who just wants to just rub your face in it. And then you have Jesus who lived a sinless life, who was good enough. And the enemy tried to get him to give in to temptation, and he never fell. He was the perfect human. And beyond that, he submitted himself to the penalty of death, our penalty. Because we would be weighed and found wanting, Jesus submitted to our penalty for us. He was there in, in our place, and he shed his blood. And when you follow Jesus, God, the righteous judge, is able to receive you. Why? Not because of you, but because Jesus paid for you with his blood. Romans 8.1 Therefore, because of Jesus and all Jesus has done, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you're not under condemnation anymore. Third and finally, in Christ, I'm welcome in God's kingdom. I am a daughter, I'm a son, I'm a child of the king. If Nebuchadnezzar could become a follower of God. Folks, just let that math play out. If King Nebuchadnezzar, the guy, remember what Daniel records about him? He's like, if you don't worship God, I'm cutting you up and I'm destroying your house and all. Like if that guy could be accepted by God, 
if that guy could follow God, if Nebuchadnezzar became a follower of God, so can any of us here today. Any of us. If in Christ you're welcome in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter how inadequate you felt. It doesn't matter what somebody else has said. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what your current circumstances are. You're invited to follow Jesus. John, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. This is good news. Without Jesus, you and I can't measure up. We would be put on the scales and found wanting. But if you put your faith in God and follow Jesus, here's what's going to happen. At the judgment, you're going to be put on the scales of justice. Okay? There's going to be a judgment. We're all going to rise. And there's going to be this judgment. And you're going to be put on the scales. And just before the judge says, you don't qualify, if you follow Jesus... If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, if you trust Jesus, Jesus is going to come along and Jesus is just going to put his hand on the scale and he's going to bring everything to balance. And the Father's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us and then trusting in Jesus makes it a well done day. <laughs> right? Jesus saves us from the impending judgment. And so, all of a sudden, Jesus has the right to come to the scales. So what's going to happen for those who don't trust in Jesus? They're going to be like, well, I did all these good things. I did all kinds of great stuff. And Jesus is going to be like, but I don't know you. I don't know you. And so today, you can know Jesus. It's not too late. You can accept Christ. You can be part of this family so that you can know that in God's eyes, everything's clear, everything's forgiven, all is well. And you won't be weighed and found wanting because Jesus will tip the scales for you because he's earned it through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. Jesus has all authority. Will you trust him today? Will you follow him like Nebuchadnezzar? Will you follow him like Daniel? Will you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Would you bow in prayer for just a moment? I want to pray for you with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray for you today. Just in the quiet of this moment, this may be the day that you finally understood that you're accepted. You are so loved by God. God loves you so much. He's, he shed his blood for you. That's how much he loves you. So you don't have to do anything except this one thing. Just call out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I will follow you. I'll be your, I'll be your servant and then when you say you'll be your, his servant, he says, be my brother, be my sister, and we'll serve the Father together. I want to pray for you today, and I want to invite you, if you've never declared in your heart that you want to follow him, this is your day. This is your day.